I'm your host, Space Serpent 18, and today, after so long, we get to go back and talk about playing a lot and dance with somebody. And returning, I have some awesome guests with me. Hi, I'm Snarky Hag. This is Teach. And I am Hey Jealousy 09. Hi, guys, welcome back. All right, so this is also the Whitney tribute episode. Um, Whitney Houston had passed away a couple weeks before they wrote this and, and this tribute episode, I don't know if this was, I wonder if the script itself was written and they changed it to, to have Whitney songs in it. I don't know. I, I like, I really like this one. I really like the, how they use the songs in this one. And I think it was a really good tribute episode. I almost think that they had they were going to do it as a Whitney Houston special, like they did with Lady Gaga or the Britney Spears, and then she died, and they had to rewrite it. That's my thought. Um, so we open with uh, How Will I Know. Um, this is one of my favorite performances on the show. It is Kurt Santana, Rachel, and Mercedes singing in four-part harmony by themselves. And it's just gorgeous. And it's a shame, I think, that the show didn't do these small groups very often. I call them chamber groups. Just um, maybe teach you have a better <laughs> a quartet, a better word for it. But uh, I really like this. We would just call it a mixed ensemble or a quartet. Okay. I'm going to point out, and I only noticed this in the rewatch because we had talked about something else recently. The first thing you see is Will talking to another adult. There's another teacher. There's someone at McKinley. And I was like, oh, holy shit, I should make a note. Will's talking to a grown-up. And then and then the camera pans away because he hears Mercedes singing. And then who cares? Because it's so beautiful. There, There's a lot of... Um, before we get into the song, I want to talk about Kurt's locker real quick. Because it, I remember we had this argument. Not, I don't think it was between us. I think it was us and Tumblr. Um, last time <laughs> about it. Yeah. this was Kurt's locker and I because I did this out of, or, out of order we did the goodbye one this is Kurt's locker he took down the Blaine shrine which is very sad but it's kind of telling put up all this that Whitney Houston stuff yep and then um, changed it at the end and we'll talk about that at the end but it is Kurt's locker I want to say that upon rewatch I got 
I, I went to the rage place again about uh, the, the competition numbers that would have been possible. And you already know how, how I feel about how Hummelberry should have sang something in a season three competition. But if you wanted to show off the best of your show choir, let these four sing something like this. And oh, it's yeah. wonderful. It makes Rachel fundamentally more interesting. It brings out some of the tones in Santana. Mercedes is gorgeous. She doesn't need anyone, but she's great in the group. Kurt is a wonderful addition. He brings this whole other aspect that nobody else brings. And mm. it's beyond anything that they do in any of their competitions. And it seems like, you know, if you really wanted your glee club to shine, you could try this. But, you know, the kids came up with that on their own. That wasn't Will's idea. So maybe that's why they don't do it. <laughs> exactly. That makes sense. They have a great, it's, it's two, well, I guess, I, I don't know what exactly range I would call Mercedes, but you kind of, you have two sopranos, a mezzo and an alto. And you have a great balance of voices. And their qualities, while being really individual uh, by themselves, when you mesh them together, they just are so fantastic. It's such a full sound. It's so exactly what you think of when you think of a choir. Mm-hmm. And it's not auto-tuned. There's or maybe, maybe slightly in some places. I but don't think so. I don't think it is. I mean, It's not discernibly auto-tuned anyway. Now, uh, about the lyrics, this is kind of a song that kind of stands on its own, but I'm going to pull some Kurt and Plain stuff out of it, because that is what I do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Really? I hadn't noticed. No, (laughs) I I rarely ever do that, so just let me indulge this one time. (laughs) But look at these lyrics. (laughs) It's not that funny. (laughs) Um, you look at these lyrics, it says, there's a boy I know, the one I dream of. Look into my eyes, take me to the clouds above. I lose control, can't seem to get enough. When I wake from dreaming, tell me it's really love. Then falling love, falling in love is so bittersweet. This love is strong. Why do I feel weak? I mean, come on. Like, we're at a point in the story where it, it, it's not as explicitly stated as other things in this episode, but Blaine has been pulling away, and... I don't. It's not as fairy tale romantic as it was, you know, five ten episodes ago. Stuff is going on. Mhm. Okay. Right. I just needed to express that. Express your meta. <laughs> you can tell I'm reaching too far. That's fine. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I just don't think that the Glee writers ever really worked that hard, to be honest. I think it's something that we, we put together as fans, but I honestly don't believe that the Glee writers put that in there because they just didn't have that kind of forethought. Sorry, did I say that out loud? No, that's fine. I mean, I'm just saying, like, that's what I... I don't, don't all... Like, that's what you do with, like, literary analysis. You just pull stuff out, even when it wasn't the author's intent. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Authors in general will will tell you that that once the book leaves their hands, it's not theirs anymore. It's what the reader brings to it. And I think this is much the same way. It's what we're bringing to the episode and what we're bringing to the the reading of the stuff. It's not what they wrote it to be. So Um, so getting in the episode, kind of setting it up, um, because Will and Emma have some stuff in this this scene, this gosh, this episode. and they kind of frame it. I feel like the framing doesn't necessarily work all that much. But it, as Emma 
talking about when Princess Di died, and she was graduating at the time, and she kind of, what's the word? She said it represented the loss of her childhood, and the saying goodbye to that. And that's why she thinks the kids care about Whitney. And, I mean, maybe this is her kind of projecting these feelings onto Will, because Will's feeling this. Oh, Will for sure is feeling the loss of his childhood. All of his friends are going to graduate soon. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the episode starts with Will talking to another grown-up, which is weird. And his, his focus is pulled away to Mercedes and the rest of them singing. And they're all experiencing something without him. He is not invited to this party. <laughs> they, they have a clear line between child, like teenager and adult. He tries to blur that line. Well, and it's funny that, like, yeah, and he's projecting these, this onto these kids. And I, I don't think the kids... I mean, you get a little bit of sentimentality in, when we get up to, to the graduation episode, but it's not the... It, there's not a whole lot of it. Um, yeah. There's a great part later when Santana's like, no, it's none of that. We just miss her because she was good. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I read the word Ross on the screen because I'm like, I always go through the, the episode two. And I was like, and Ross, and for whatever reason, I, I wanted to call Will Ross. So, anyway, I'm sorry for being oh, a little tired. because Rachel and Mercedes are fighting about Barbara versus Diana Ross. Yeah. No, because somebody yeah. named Ross and made the... It's in the credits. Oh, weird. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it, it's just like somebody that helped make the show. I don't know. As long as it's not Ross from Jay Leno, we're good. <laughs> oh, anyway. Moving um, on. Anyway, so Whitney, they're going to do Whitney. And yeah, um, Mercedes and Rachel are fighting over who was originally going to do the bodyguard. And um, yeah. And this is where we get that delightful moment of um, of Kurt. He's going to say all the great attributes of Whitney Houston, and, and Blaine stops him and puts his hand on uh, hand on Kurt's arm. Uh, yes, Blaine hits the snooze button. <laughs> it's so cute. That is one of my favorite Klein moments. It's one of the most GIF moments, I think. Yeah. Well, that's always Comfy's the So Married, and it's so... I think it's a nice touch in an episode that has so much angst between the two of them. Yeah. That even though they are on these different paths and going in these different ways, there's still... there's a re- They have a foundation. There's a reason they are together still. I mean... Okay. Um, so then we get into our, our first clean um, scene, which is the locker scene. And Kurt's all excited because he's going to go... Um, he's going to go pick out his music for his Niata edition. And wow, just as a side note, I'm so far, I'm like, wait a minute, didn't we talk about that? Yeah, because we already did that episode. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I like the way they played this scene because at first they're just having a conversation and Blaine's like, he's not totally distant yet, but as soon as Niata gets said, Blaine just like checks out. He's totally uncomfortable. His body his body language totally shifts and he's like, yeah, maybe like call me after. Yep. And that's when, when Kurt just deflates, I mean, he's, he's like, you know, wait a minute. And and I'm wondering if these, this like come with me with between the sheets, 
this isn't the first time he's tried this. This is him trying to get Blaine to, like, do things with him. And Blaine, I mean, he's, of course, not saying the right thing with the whole, you know, let's go to, I'm going to do New York stuff. You're going to help me, right? You're going to, you're going to do this thing with me? And Blaine's like, well, mm. I love the meta point of Kurt is inviting Blaine to come be between the sheets with him. And Blaine says no. <laughs> it's a metaphor. And then, dude. And then, and then at the end, Kurt calls him boo. <laughs> All right, boo. I thought it was just that he was mad. I was thinking he was saying, boo, like, oh, you're not coming with me. I didn't read it like that. I read it like, oh, okay, boo. Interesting. Swing heart. But yeah. I mean, please. I'm not going to argue. I I don't know which one they intended it to be, but. (laughs) Do we have a script for this one? Did we ever get a script? I did not get it. This is one of the few clean ones um, that I didn't. I didn't get my hands on. I, I've never seen a script or any deleted anything from this one. So I don't. I don't know. Gosh, that would have been helpful, though, right? Seriously, <laughs> And yeah, I mean, and then I can only imagine at this point, like Kurt's been totally a hundred percent on the New York train, on the future train, and living his life in the pre- in, not in the present, but in the future, and. Yeah. Well, I mean, just like Rachel, he has been itching to get out of town for a long, long time. And just like Rachel, now he's got this thing kind of connecting him to home, but he doesn't feel like it's going to hold him back. He wants to drag that thing with him. I mean, Finn's much more of a ball and chain, but still. Well, yeah, he, he's, he's already thinking, well, you know, Blaine's going to be there next year and we'll already, you know, we'll go pick out an apartment and he'll be coming with me soon. And there's no one of the themes about this um, episode is kind of like t- trying to be grateful of your present while you're in it. And Kurt's definitely not doing that. Well, I don't think either one of them at this point is really doing that because Blaine is dreading it and Kurt is so excited about it. All right, so we get into between the sheets. Let's go between the sheets with Kurt. <laughs> and the hippo brooch. Ouch. And the hippo brooch. <laughs> um, and uh, Tyler Oakley makes an appearance. No, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I swear people were teasing him about that, though. That the guy Seriously. they got his family looks so much like him. I swear they were teasing about him on his Twitter when it came, when this one came out. I, I'm not going to bother to go back the five, six years and find it. But I remember Tyler Oakley mentioning that, why, why on earth didn't they just bring me in, you know? <laughs> I'm sure it was, though. It's too much of a... He, Chandler, if you, if, you know, for those so of you that don't know, know Tyler Oakley is kind of... His, YouTube personality who's very Chandler like. <laughs> um, so yeah, Chandler's in this one scene. Um, even though, man, it feels like he's in more, but he's really not. And he's all excited about New York too, and he compliments the hippo brooch, and he talks about Whitney Houston very excitedly, and New York very excitedly, and he's from North Lime High, because apparently Lima is that big. <laughs> you know, I want to point out something that I didn't notice until I watched it just last night, which is. Um, I almost called him Tyler Oakley. Fuck it, I'll just go with it. Does Tyler Oakley? <laughs> Tyler Oakley says, "Like you must get compliments all the cl- all the time." And Kurt's like, "Oh no, no, not really." Um, 
And that just made me sad because it means that not only is he not like nobody understands him, but also like, no, he he doesn't get them because he's not getting them from Blaine. Well, yeah. And that's the thing that kind of, it's interesting how Kurt and Blaine's dynamic when they work together, they really complement each other. But when they start to unravel, it's like their insecurities kind of play off one another and get worse because, you know, Blaine is insecure. So he's pulling away physically. And that makes Kurt insecure, so he focuses more on, you know, the things he can control, like going to New York, which makes Blade more insecure. So it, it's just like this bad cycle. And neither one of them are actually doing the work of talking about it. No, that's always the biggest problem. Just talk to each other. They're doing a very bad job of speaking each other's love languages. Yes, yes they are. And I think that for so long, they relied on the fact that those things were easy. Um, because they are still a fabulous old married couple. They're just not thriving currently. You know, there's not, there's nothing that's been totally and truly lost. They're just sort of at a low point, which all relation, you know, relationships aren't just this like plateau of whatever it is. There's always going to be highs and lows and places where you're sort of disconnected or more connected. It just happens that these particular times are also because of this other stressful thing. I mean, Kurt even says that Chandler's enthusiasm for him is, like, refreshing. Yeah. So he's clearly been missing that. They're two 18-year-old boys, and I can only imagine how communication is probably hard for them. (laughs) (laughs) I think they communicate a lot and fabulously for two 18-year-old boys. Right. There's just, you know, it's hard. Um, the one thing that also I want to point out about this the stuff with Chandler, is Kurt's not in here like, oh, this guy's hot, I want to go do him. It's it's a like, uh, you know, if he was getting everything that he was needing to get from Blaine, this wouldn't even be like he, you know, Chandler says, can I have your number? And you know, Kurt Kurt has a look on his face like he knows it's something not quite right, but he goes with it. Our fandom was really upset that it turned out to be Tyler Oakley and not some super hot dude because they wanted Kurt to be pursued by some super hot guy. Uh, but I like the fact that it's not because I think it makes it more clear to understand that Kurt's just doing this because of uh, like a way something like it makes him feel good. It doesn't really he's not really truly tempted and it doesn't matter what the guy looks like because Blaine never sees him. Right. But, you know, there's all this comparison between when we had Sebastian, who, you know, CW hair aside, everybody thought was, like, really cute. And then there's this caricature of a person who comes after Kurt. And the Kurt stands were outraged. Outraged that it wasn't, like... That's kind of a normal state of being for the Kurt fans, but, um... Yes. (laughs) Give him everything. This is why I got kicked out of the club. Um, (laughs) no... Well, he gets Adam Crawford later. <laughs> that's true. See, I think that's what they wanted, and the, that they wanted something like that showing up in Lima. Not likely. Yeah, probably not. Not likely. No, that this is just the way Lima is. Even at the end of the series, when the, or you know, at the when he's talking at the end of the season, when he's saying, and and now here's these baby gays and those two guys. They're they're not. They're not Blaine. They're, they're adorable children. Yeah, children. Yes, and we all know that Kurt likes an older man, and Blaine is clearly a grandpa, so <laughs> it works. 
Oh, I lost that. That didn't come through. Oh, uh, that's okay. It's probably for the best. No, I'll that say it again. It was a big blank space. That's all it was. Well, no, what she said was that clearly Kurt has a thing for older men and Blaine is a grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, sorry. No, that's you okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, One point that I wanted to make that I didn't even pick up on until this last rewatch is that I always kind of wondered if Blaine went overboard in the affection after the whole Sebastian debacle. And so now he's reaching the point where it is inevitably going to go downhill. So that wrapped up with the end of the year and Kurt moving and all of this happening all at once is not part of why Kurt feels disconnected. Because he had all this attention where Blaine's trying to feel like he's making up for something and now it's going downhill and he doesn't really understand it quite yet. So when Chandler gives him attention, he's like, yes, this is what I need. I love Kurt, but dude is spoiled. Blaine is 100. <laughs> Blaine is 110% all the time. And so right now he's like at 80 and Kurt's like, this is not good enough. Well, and like, think about this. I mean, even as when they were friends at Dalton and how touchy-feely Blaine was before they were dating and how much attention Blaine gave him. And, uh, you know, I don't think that the whole Sebastian thing was ever... Blaine saw that whole thing in a completely different light than Kurt. And I yeah. think that Blaine, like, okay, this other guy's giving me attention. Fantastic. Okay, I'm going to just still hard eyes hurt eyes at my boyfriend it just was never I, I i can see what you're saying but maybe slightly disagree as in because i think that's always what blaine's doing um but oh can i have a confession i have an unpopular opinion i i don't i love, love grant gustin i don't think he's that attractive i'm sorry i'm sorry he's a very sweet guy though i adore him that's I not anywhere near what i was expecting for you to say I'm kicking you out of the Clash fandom, then. I know. I think he's adorable. I don't necessarily think he's hot and sexy. Have you seen the man without a shirt? Come on, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not so, I'm not, not so much the face, but the body. Oh, yeah. As someone who watches The Flash, because I have a child who loves it because it's not that good of a show. Sorry. <laughs> Um, oh, oh, my claws are coming out. Sorry. He is a scrawny <laughs> little thing. He is a scrawny little thing, and I love the fact that he is a superhero. But he's like scrawny little this, things are my like type. A regular dude, regular dude. Yeah. Yep. Normal. He is a regular normal dude. Clothes, just a regular dude. Everybody looks better when you put on the little flash suit. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Well, even in the first episode, when he wakes up from the lightning, he's like, it gave me abs. Like, he's shocked that he was there. How did getting struck by lightning give me abs? Okay, settle. <laughs> yeah, we saw them already. No, but yes, yes. Now, now I just have to go and, and Google images of him just to look at the abs again. So, hello. When you, compare, <laughs> when you compare Sebastian to Tyler Oakley, I did it again. <laughs> His name is Chandler. <laughs> Chandler Keo, I believe, was his name. Yeah. Um, you know, if you were just rating on a general level of attractiveness, I think it's fair to say the regular opinion was that Sebastian was attractive and seductive. 
And Chandler was quirky. He's a puppy. Stereotypical. He's a puppy. But, you know, I feel like, not to get into this whole mess, stands are going to see what they want to see and not necessarily what is actually there. So if it didn't really matter. They could have brought in Tyler Oakley. They could have brought in Brad Pitt. It probably would not have mattered unless the guy was 100% like smoking and like smoking hot and paying all the attention and compliments to Kurt in the same bundle. And I just have to say, I Googled Chandler Keel just to get an image of him, and it, the, it, every other image is Tyler Oakley. <laughs> Do a Google image search for Chandler Keel Glee. It comes up with Tyler Oakley about half the time. That's fantastic. Oh, um, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Tyler. Sorry. Tyler is actually, in my opinion, Tyler is actually objectively hotter than Chandler Keel just looking at the sure. two sides side in that Google since we've gone down this rabbit hole sure <laughs> you know what let's change the podcast we're gonna rank all the guys in Glee no I'm sure we are not doing that <laughs> yeah and we're calling it objectively hot but seriously who's who who's got the list of like what the characteristics are it's all subjective but anyway moving on <laughs> <laughs> Um, moving on to the Britannia duet, which is actually a uh, dance with somebody. Um, there's this little moment where Blaine and Brittany are dancing. It's actually really cute. She like pulls them up and like starts dancing with him. And that's kind of cute. You know what I like about that? Um, first of all, I was surprised that Brittany got that song because she's not that strong of a singer, but I thought she did a good job. I do like when they start pulling people up for a lot of this episode. Kurt is actually sitting next to Sam. He's not sitting with Blaine at all. Maybe because Sam lives in his house and they're being buddy buddy. I th- I do think Kurt and Sam are friends th- throughout. Um, and I but think there was a point to that too because Kurt's often on his phone during yeah, that time but too. He's also, but he's with Sam. But th- when they're pulling people up to dance, Kurt makes Sam get up so he and Sam can go dance as well. <laughs> like he doesn't just get up and dance. He's like, "Come on, Sam, let's go." In the auditorium, um, though, Kurt and Blaine are actually sitting next to each other and. Despite the angsty nature of this, they're both relatively happy in this scene. <laughs> yeah, when they switch from the classroom to the auditorium, then Clayne is sitting together in their own row. They're clearly enjoying the song. Like, they're they're being a couple in the standard way that we're used to it. They're adorable. They're, like, shoulder dancing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of like that moment at the beginning when Blaine touches his hand to Kurt's arm. I mean, they're still firmly a couple here. It's just they're having some issues they're just you know they're a fabulous married couple they just have to schedule things a little bit better <laughs> or more often um <laughs> when we get i'll i'll wait i'll save my comments to when we get there <laughs> <laughs> about the scheduled <laughs> yes all right um how much do we really want to talk about joe and quinn <laughs> Hmm. Not much. No. All right. Skipping over that. We're skipping over more because this is also the episode <laughs> that has um, uh, Will and Emma issues over the wedding planning. And yeah. Uh, then one thing about this. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Teach. Oh, I just said Mr. Lavender. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> This episode does really well because there are three distinct storylines and the show focus on focuses on those three distinct storylines. A lot of season three, one thing that I have a hard time with in season three is that you just put 18 storylines in an episode. Everybody gets about five minutes. It isn't really satisfying and you're stuck with watching Finchel make out. You know, it's just yeah. 
So, yeah, I'm not interested in the Joe and Quinn storyline, but it was a clear, developed storyline that went from point A to point C. It made sense. I just don't care. Because we're cleaners and yeah. That's, but you know what? That's what well, the podcast I don't care that is much for. about the physical therapy boner. It's weird. <laughs> and I don't care about their God talk. You can be in his pants feelings. Yes. I don't want to talk about Jesus versus boners. That's not, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me started on that. Ugh. Sorry. Um, so we get to, um, we get to the Hummelberry scene and let's talk about my double standard about Hummelberry. <laughs> I'm for it when it's helping Kurt <laughs> and less for it when it's helping Rachel. <laughs> I know. Why can't it be symbiotic? Why does it have to be parasitic all the time? That's the piece about it that just pissed me off. <sighs> But it is not. I mean, after this whole... Usually, when it's helping Kurt, it's usually a symbiosis. It helps them both. But when it's just the Rachel side of it, Kurt gets left behind. And that's the part that usually ticks me off with Humbleberry. Because there's very few times where Kurt gets the the good end and Rachel ends up with the raw end. Usually, they're either both happy or or Kurt gets the shaft. I'm, I'm trying to think. And other than... The, was it season five at Niata where he won the um, Midnight Madness? Other than that, I can't think of a time where Rachel actually ended up with a short end of the stick ever. That was season four. Um, Do you have a satisfying? I- <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of payback. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that was satisfying? Yeah, it was. I'm just doing my meta for that right now. I'm like, this is glorious. Um <laughs> Truth time. I love it when we get to truth time. <laughs> oh man! But anyway, but anyway, here the one thing I, I oh. do like Rachel is a good friend to him here. Rachel is, she's a good friend to him. She's actually talking with some level of emotional intelligence about what it means to be in a relationship and how to treat the other person. I realize yeah. that she and Finn are like on a real high, but um, I, I I was shocked. At how well she was like Mercedes level helpful, which that I feel like that doesn't happen again. Well, maybe that's why I like this scene so much. Um, but it, it's Rachel in this episode. There's not a lot of her, and you know this is going to sound awful because I I realize she is the main character. I realize they're going to focus on her more than anyone else. But Rachel in a supporting role is more tolerable than Rachel in a main role. Yes. Don't you think that's intentional? Because she's one of their hyper-reality characters in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. I don't think we really got her out of the stereotype of the diva. Most of the characters in season one started off as stereotypes, and then as we got to know them more, there was more depth to them, but I always feel like Rachel just sort of got stuck in diva and stayed there. Mm, That's true. Um, so getting kind of into the meat of the scene, um, first of all, she starts off talking about her, of course, um, doing the Star Spangled Banner uh, that Whitney Houston did and realizes, and see, this is even a humble moment for her, realizes that she's not going to ever be able to do it. And then Kurt is getting all of these messages from Chandler and Rachel's like, I mean, what, I was, they cannot possibly, ever, maybe, I don't know, because she's like, oh, I know you're getting texts from your boyfriend. I'm like, he has other friends, Rachel. Just because you only get texts from Kurt, I mean, from Finn talking about your boobs. <laughs> but he does make a particular face 
Yeah. Like, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> and I like, I like that, um, Rachel was like, yeah, he texted me about moves. He's an 18 year old boy. And then Kurt brings up the lesbian bed death. <laughs> Which he read about online. Well, I mean, clearly he's doing some research. Probably researching their issues, yeah. Well, he had his computer open because he was making the schedule. That's true. He <laughs> just decided to do a Google search. Um, I, th- I, I can't help but think, like, Kurt is, has somehow exaggerated it because he's like, you know, it's been like a month. And it made me think of, like, you know, later on in Tested when he's like, it's been like a few days. And I'm like, really? Really? Has it been? Has it been a day? <laughs> I, it reminds me, I think of one of my favorite clean cartoons where it, it gets, <laughs> where Kurt gets progressively more aggressive. Like the road to sex addiction. <laughs> it's been five minutes! <laughs> yeah. I mean, first of all, they're very busy people, so it makes sense that they schedule particular things. Because also, you know, they have to have a proper placement. They have to have the sting playing. They have to have the lavender. They've got it all out, you know. Lilac, lilac. Um, I'm sure both setting a mood is important to both of them. And, you know, a thousand people live in the Hummel house right now. You've got to plan for the majority of the family to be gone. That's not an easy yeah. thing to do. Or you have to go to Blaine's house where there's no parents, but maybe the, they're there or not there. Blaine's he probably still in clubs and things, and they do have homework. Uh, <laughs> Kurt probably has some kind of curfew. Like, I don't doubt that there's a schedule of some sort. Um, I just got this image and... And they're both so type A. Of course they have a schedule. Just <laughs> during high school, they were the couple that like every time was really romantic and really planned out and flowers and candles. And then in college, they're like, we have five minutes, let's do it. <laughs> See, I have, my head headcanon is that it is either all, it is all or nothing. It is either frenzy or, like, all the setup. There's no halfway point. <laughs> um, at least, you know, there's no really bad puns about boobs. Um, <laughs> there are really, really bad puns from Chandler's text, though, that's for sure. <laughs> Can you imagine, but let's just take a moment to imagine what Finn's boobs texts are probably like. They're just, what, like... I don't want to. They're probably like, I like your boobs. I'm thinking well, about your he boobs. Say, he said in like season one or season two that she didn't even really have boobs. They're girl boobs. Well, it, was, it, was, it was in Grilled Cheeses. He, he, yeah. he was talking about the fact that, yeah, they're small and everything, but at least they're girl boobs. Yeah. He prayed yep. to, to Jesus to get to touch them. <laughs> yes. Even though they were small and pitiful and not at all. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> But I just imagine that Finn's texts are the least sexy sex to ever get. (laughs) Well, and that's, you know, going back to these texts, Kurt says, you know, they make me feel good. And that is what he's kind of lacking from Blaine right now, is that he just doesn't feel good. And I think that's another thing. Like, when you're, they are getting out of this honeymoon part of their relationship. They have... Up until this point, been all lovey-dovey, and, you know, Blaine says later on in season four, like, it was always, like, Valentine's Day, and a relationship is more than just, like, the lovey-dovey feelings all the time. I mean, like, as Starkey said, you're going to have ups and downs, and it changes, and 
I think Blaine has a hard time with letting things not be at that higher level. I mean, you see him in New York. He's making Kurt breakfast in bed every day because yeah. he feel you know he, he's, he is someone who feels like he needs to be perfect above and beyond a hundred percent to get people to love him and continue to love him. And I don't think he understands. Like he obviously he clearly doesn't understand that. Like you know, you can put on weight, you can do this, you can do less of this and that, and Kurt's still going to think you're the most gorgeous person, and he's going to love you forever. You know, you just have to have that little bit of connection. He doesn't need every single day to get a bouquet of roses, but he needs Blaine to be emotionally open. But he doesn't trust it. I mean, I think that's part of the reason. Like, he, Blaine is like, if I stop doing this, Kurt's going to stop loving me, and I can't, like, he's afraid of Kurt not loving him anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at his whole character life, he feels like what that which he is able to be or do for other people is what gets. He doesn't automatically get love. He has to achieve it all the time, constantly be the best for it. Um, because he gets a lot of praise for being really good at things. And I think that, you know, he doesn't have a Bert Hummel at home telling him, I love you no matter what. Yeah, he has a Kurt, but he still has to unlearn all that shit, and he's only seventeen. I mean, look at all the stuff with his brother just a couple episodes earlier, and yeah. you know that yeah, his brother doesn't listen to him at all. Oh, um, on the other hand, though, I mean, we talk about you know Blaine's withholding his physical intimacy and. And, you know, it's not just the, you know, roses and flowers and whatever that he's not, you know, the compliments, which does matter to Kurt. But also, like, they are scheduling things right now, probably on Kurt's schedule. And withholding that, it brings back all of Kurt's insecurities about, you know, you know being this thing that but, nobody wants to touch. Yeah. But yeah. Kurt also has to learn. He, he, has some, he somehow hasn't figured out that... If you're making out with your boyfriend and you bring up Niata and your boyfriend suddenly doesn't want to make out anymore, maybe that's the thing. Like, maybe you need to, you need to shut up a little bit. And he's just, he's, he's, he's so certain that he and Blaine are going to be forever. And he's also so, so excited to finally get the fuck out of Lima. He yeah. just, you know, he's just not being 100% smart because he also is an 18-year-old boy who, you know, they're stupid. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, considering I have a 16-year-old boy in my house right now, I will echo that 100%. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, coming at the end of this, I, I do like Rachel's maturity. She's like, look, you know, you may, be, you may be enjoying this right now, but this isn't innocent, and you can really hurt Blaine this way. And he kind of just, you know, rolls his eyes at her, but she's right. Oh, yeah. Rachel, well, she likes Blaine, too. Yeah. Nobody wants to hurt Blaine. That's bad. Blaine is everybody's little puppy dog friend. He's, he's everybody's... Yeah. yeah. Except for Finn. Don't kick the puppy. Don't kick the puppy. <laughs> Don't kick the Blainers. No. No one wants those puppy dog eyes looking at you like that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So this... <laughs> we get a song... Um, that is, I believe this is, it's the Joe and Quinn song. Oh, more sexy physical therapy. 
the more sexy the, oh yeah we're skipping over this <laughs> okay okay that's well, what it is. during that song Curtin and blaine are sitting together however by comparison finchel is straight up cuddling yeah there are times though that mike and tina outdo finchel i just you never notice it but sometimes they're like straight up making out in the background yeah i like that I appreciate that. I've noticed cuddling. I don't think I've straight up noticed making out. They, it's, it's only been like two or three times, but when somebody sings like this really sad, sappy song, they'll like cuddle up and like kiss a little bit. It's there. I just assume Tina is crying and Mike is comforting her. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they do a lot of nose bumping. I noticed that a lot with Mike and Tina. They little rubbing noses stuff that they do. Um, so they have the, there's the Joe Quinn thing, and then there's the boner thing. Ugh, whatever. And then there's the Rachel Santana uh, duet. And this is where Kurt's going to town with his texting stuff. It's, it's weird that he shows Sam. I don't, someone needs to explain that to me, because I don't quite get that. Because I think he thinks it's innocent. And it's puns, so Sam likes puns. That's true. They're really bad puns, though. If Kurt wasn't so you know starved for attention. <laughs> what I noticed is, so Rachel and Santana are singing the song, and they're both doing the sexy dances. And Finn starts making a video on his phone of Rachel, and Brittany starts making a video on her phone of Santana. <laughs> but yeah, I mean... And, and then, it, then it gets so sad. I know, because you have Blaine, who's sitting there, like, just... He's like, why isn't Kurt talking to me? And this is at this point, they probably, he's not getting texts from Kurt much anymore. No, he got the shoe polish one. Yes. Three different texts about shoe polish. And I will say this. uh, When you read Chandler's text, you can read the line of Kurt's text above it. And it ends with, and nothing else, exclamation part. Which... Sure sounds like something talking about being naked. I have never noticed that. Okay, now I have to go find the screenshot. It's the screenshot is when because it's that ASP joke, and then you can see half you can't see all of the text, but you can see just the bottom of the letters, and the bottom of the letters clearly says and nothing else. Exclamation point. And that's what Kurt sent out. Here's the image. There's the image. All right, let me pull it up. Well, and I'm watching it right now. I guess I'm close enough, but I don't know. I mean, you can interpret that in different ways. Like you could interpret it lots of different ways, but it's not just like. I mean, maybe Kurt's also just like joking. He's just joking around and sending something out. Like, you know, what if I sang it? You know, in the nude and nothing else. Exclamation! I mean, there's lots of different things you could do. Oh, that could be too because it's it does say and the nothing else. It makes him seem a little more complicit. It does say and nothing else. But clearly, Kurt doesn't think he's sexting with Chandler because he shows Sam. (laughs) There's no, it doesn't, there's not an explanation mark, or you can't tell if there is one or not. Um, I thought there was. Anyway. But it does say and nothing else. But it could be, I mean, it could be the front of a joke. I mean, or, I don't know. Who knows? I guess you can interpret your own thing into that. And it's so funny watching, because I'm watching the episode with the captions on, and it's the lyrics of the song. It's so emotional. 
And some of them fit the scene really well. Like, ain't it shocking what love can do? And I get mm-hmm. so emotional over you. And I mean, yeah, it's interesting. And as the song goes on, Blaine gets more and more emotional to the point where he just looks like he needs a hug. He does need a hug. And Kurt doesn't see it. <sighs> oh, you stupid boys. Silly, silly boys. Well, you know, I like it when they fight. Because then they make <laughs> up and it makes for a better story. <laughs> it does. Actually, I prefer angsty stories than plain fluff anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, you got to have conflict to have a good story. I mean... If it was all fluff, it'd be really boring. Uh, case in point, most of the season with them just sitting next to each other is kind of boring. <laughs> I do think this is one of their better angsty moments, though. I, to, me, the, to me, this is more realistic than some of the other things that go on in Glee. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, and I think that they it plays to um, really crucial character insecurities. But also not, you know, I mean, like, Kurt's doing something stupid here. And, you know, you could argue that Blaine did something stupid during the first time with Sebastian. But neither one of them thought they were doing something terrible to the other. You know, they weren't abandoning, you know, this wasn't like a a true cheating storyline where Rachel kisses Puck and then Finn's mad and somebody else kisses somebody else and everybody's mad at everybody else. Right? It wasn't that kind of thing. It was a lot more sort of mature and complex about like who these people are and places where their compatibility need, they need to pay attention to certain points of their relationship to increase their compatibility when things are hard. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on in the episode, things that we are going to use kind of skip over is um, we get all of the girls talking to Quinn about Joe. Um, this romance is not going to go anywhere, but it requires everyone's input on it. Um, we get the scene with Mr. Lavender, <laughs> which, yeah, those two yeah. are ready for marriage. Um, and then we get everyone's favorite scene of Sam and Joe talking about when it is a good time, you know, to believe in God or believe in having sex with a girl. This is a good, you know, I'm glad that Joe went to Sam with this. I, he's the most appropriate person. Really? Being thank her God. ex-boyfriend? Thank God he didn't talk to Finn. Well, Sam's the one who... Sam's a dude who's Christian. Who else can you talk to? Well, if you talk true. to Puck, it would be totally different. If you talk to Finn, it would just be weird. Can't really talk to Artie. He could, but he would get some poor advice. What about Rory? Uh, <laughs> Rory hasn't done anything in a while. That's true. Rory also seems like a useless person. What about um, Mike? Yeah, what about Mike? He's the only sane one in a relationship. <laughs> but but Sam is Christian. Overly so. Has the God Squad already started? Yes. Is Sam in there? We oh, talked about that back in episode 13. Valentine's Day. Oh. You were there. Well, okay. <laughs> but Sam is I like to tune super. out the God Squad. <sighs> um, Did, was Sam in the God Squad at that point? Yeah, he was. He was at the first Okay, well then it makes total sense. Sam is the best possible choice. Yeah. And also Sam has that great, like, you do you kind of advice, which is really the most appropriate advice. Okay, so then we get into, this is the first time they, I mean, they kind of fight and blame it on the alcohol, but it was just kind of a tiny rift. And the first time, it feels different than the first time. 
Like, I feel like this is a really actual fight fight. Yeah. Well, they're both sober. That's true. So, um, so yeah, they're going to have a bean Bobby Brown marathon and Kurt has his little, you know, seductive plate of cheese and grapes. And I'm pretty sure he, he thought that this was going to be a, a good night for the team. Maybe it was on their schedule. Oh yeah. So they're not watching all of that marathon. No way. <laughs> It gives them a good excuse to be in the room together, though. Yeah, for a long... We're going to be up here for a long time. Oh, you don't want to watch it. It's really boring. <laughs> Stay out. Keep Rachel out. <laughs> I can just see them feeding grapes to each other. I'd... Yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I thought was interesting? When they came... When it came to this scene, the first text that Blaine reads out loud starts with it's the one where Chandler says when we go to New York and I think that's part of the thing that resonates so hard for him because he already sees like I've been replaced I mean he doesn't realize he's not going to go to you he doesn't realize he can't possibly be replaced by Tyler I did it again (laughs) 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 you know it's in his mind he thinks that he is replaceable in Kurt's mind he's not replaceable so there's some of the disconnect um, but the kind of texts that they are, I think, are especially cutting to the the places where Blaine is vulnerable. Well, and even, can you sing into my voicemail, I want to make your voice my ringtone? Well, I agree with that sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> I do, but it's kind of like, you know, they sing Come What May to each other, and that's supposed to be more intimate than sex. So, Kurt singing and having yeah. it be another person's yeah. voice, I wow, I just thought of this right this second, but... Like, yeah. Yeah. And then so some intimate shit. And then of course, <laughs> <Sounded> yeah. smart. <laughs> the only time that they, you know, Kurt's been texting Blaine was about shoe polish, which is not fun. And, and then, you know, Kurt, of course, handles this so maturely. Um, <laughs> well, he gets defensive. Yes. And yeah, he's he's like, this is innocent, and this is cheating, Kurt, and this is Sparta, and this is you know, possibly. <laughs> 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 I that do me. like that they go back to the question about Sebastian, and Blaine reiterates that he never likes Sebastian, and Kurt's like, yeah, I don't like this guy either, but I like the way how he makes me feel, you know. And Blaine, Blaine, I think. He must know on some level that he's been pulling away, but he still probably thinks, you know, usually he's 110% right now. He's only at 80% super boyfriend, so he still probably feels like he's doing enough to be able to keep Kurt. Mm. And I really, I really like the fact that they open up all these different wounds and all these different vulnerabilities. They talk about the alpha gay. They talk about how Kurt did used to sing solos more often. And now he doesn't. He sits on a stool and watches Blaine. And, you know, he has a lot of these issues. And I think a lot of them are little micro things, but have built up over time. And none of those things are necessarily bad things that Blaine has done. It's just what it's like to have to be around Blaine. And, you know, as much as he wants him around, there's also the effect of having this charismatic person be with you all the time you know it pulls some of the focus from you and I think for Kurt that's a little bit 
hurtful, even if Blaine doesn't mean for it to be hurtful. Mm-hmm. I think also going on in there, though, is the fact that Kurt, instead of trying to address the actual situation, he is being, def- as, as you said, dispensive. And he's like, well, you know, I this wasn't anything, but you know what? You're not perfect either, and all this stuff. Yeah. And he even, he does the super crappy not apology where he says, I'm sorry if it made you upset, which is not the yeah. same thing as I'm sorry. Yeah, it's not, I'm sorry that I did this, or I'm sorry that I hurt you. It's, <clears throat> well, I'm sorry you got upset. Yeah. We- I teach third graders how to apologize better than that. <laughs> One of Kurt's laws is that he really does not know how to apologize. Uh, yeah. And let's go back to the cheating line for a second, because this gets thrown at Blaine so much. And, yeah, I don't know. I, I think he can say this here. He can say, that, you know, and still have it be something that he does later on. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. Because he's, I mean, he says right here, this is cheating. That thing with Sebastian wasn't. So Blaine clearly understands the differences between them. I don't think he understood for Kurt how much the pulling away was affecting Kurt until Kurt goes to New York and pulls away and then it affects him. Yep. And then by the time he has that understanding, well, fuck. Well, and I think also, just thinking about Sebastian for a second, I think that Sebastian always brings about his, Kurt's insecurities about himself, because Sebastian's supposed to be this cultured guy who can do all these fancy things, and he's a warbler, and, you know, and... And Sebastian always brings up how Kurt's got gay face, stereotypically gay, not manly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of his insecurities. Exactly. So it may not have been cheating, even in an emotional sense, but, you know, Kurt still feels like, okay, well, you seem to have, you know, one foot out of the door of this relationship, too. Not really, but, like, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but... <laughs> and, I mean, Kurt specifically says, when was the last time you complimented me or told me how special I was? Which tells you right there what he's missing, what what he's yeah. looking for from Blaine that he's not getting, you know, where that where that pulling away has created that distance. Yeah. And I do think that he's filling that hole with these texts from Chandler because that's exactly what Chandler's doing. He's Absolutely. complimenting him and telling him how special he is. Um, but he doesn't he doesn't see it as cheating, even though it's I mean emotionally it kind of is, you know. And look at Blaine's next line. I transferred schools to be with you. Doesn't that make you feel loved? And <laughs> which that was a long time ago. <laughs> what have you done for me lately? <laughs> Sorry. But also Blaine, I mean, oh, Blaine, that was not your best choice. <laughs> I mean, Blaine sees it as this, you know, I did this for you. I keep sacrificing myself for you. But yeah. I think that for him to say, I transferred schools to be with you, isn't that he did it for Kurt, but he did it because he, I mean, I really do think that Blaine transferred schools because he wanted to. Yeah. 
he you wanted know, both wanted that thing. Kurt. It wasn't a sacrifice that he made for Kurt. He was following his heart. Yeah, and he doesn't and say it's it, a grand gesture. He says he doesn't say it like it's a sacrifice. He, he doesn't say I gave up my whole life. He says I changed my whole life to be with you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Which Kurt needs to learn to do a little bit more. Yeah. Well, and then look at you know so Blaine is because Kurt's going to deflect more because Blaine says this he's out front he's like I did these things for you and that is when Kurt knowing you know. Kurt has this issue with accepting that he is wrong sometimes. So instead of acknowledging that, that's when he throws out all the alpha gay and the rule this that Rachel wanting to make out with you, which apparently is still a sore spot, and um, you know, all of that other stuff. So he's kind of deflecting at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're having an argument. So my babies. My poor babies. Just fix it. Sorry. That's how I felt watching the whole episode the whole time. But don't fix it yet, because I want to have sassy Blaine. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Blaine says, you know... He doesn't hear. Yeah, it's such a bullshit comment from him. Yeah, tell him you're unhappy, dude. (laughs) And see, that's when Kurt says says he says he feels like he's taking crazy pills, because... He doesn't understand. Like, where is this coming from? I thought we were happy and, and, you know, all this stuff. And you're the one that started pulling away. And I don't understand any of this. He, that's the, you know, other thing. He's not really going to get any of this until his dad starts talking to him. So, so, yeah. 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 Thank goodness for Bert Hummel. And in Kurt's opinion, his New York dream is their shared dream. Yeah. And that year apart is going to be nothing. Because in the long run... They got the next 80 together. Think about how many times in season five, they're like, he's like, we're getting married. We're going to do all this together. And we're a team and, you know, all of this other stuff. And, and yeah, Kurt's always been, we're conquering the world together. He is 110% committed. (laughs) Oh boy. So at least until he gets there. (laughs) Well, um, then we get into Sassy Blaine. This song is for anyone who's ever been cheated on. And, oh, I forgot about this. This is one of my favorite parts. But um, Kurt says that he's never, he wasn't cheating on anybody. And then Brittany wants to let everybody know that she does have the fastest <laughs> lit- land speed of any living animal. <laughs> the reaction shots from the rest of the cast when it when Blaine says that he's been cheated on and Kurt's like, I didn't do that are so fabulous because they're all shocked and pissed at Kurt <laughs> and confused. My probably my favorite. <laughs> Finn I at one point, he's like singing look along he and he looks so, like they look yeah. confused and angry. <laughs> and like just downright like, what the frick is going on? <laughs> like, And these- once again, we have Blaine singing a female empowerment anthem when he's upset. He did it in Big Brother. He does it yep. here. I love this part of him. I love that it's his go-to place. Oh, I love this. I, and, you know, I, I I have, I'll throw these theories out. I know we talked about this the first time we, we um, did it. Um, I've heard thoughts that the fantasy part of this song um, is from either point of view. I can see it from being Blaine's point of view. 
when he, you know, he, in, the, in the choir room, he's really still insecure and he's kind of angry and a mess and, and not really handling it. But when he uses fantasy lane, he's just like cool and collected and I'm going to get rid of you and I don't need you in my life and whatever. And then I've seen it talking about from Kurt's point of view where he, in his head, he's really fearful that Blaine is just done with him. And that is the version of Blaine that he sees that I'm, you know, Blaine is done with him. And I don't know. So the rest of the Glee Club is similarly in the, when they go into the fantasy mode, the rest of the Glee Club is similarly 100% behind Blaine. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, li- I, I like it all those different ways. It's a fun That's number. A, that almost makes me see it more being from Blaine's because when the in the choir room scene, he is looking at everybody and he can see how everybody's upset with Kurt. And I still think at this point, Kurt doesn't think he did anything wrong. So I don't, I think he thinks he's going to have people on his side. And so it just makes more sense to me that being that they all still look mad in the fantasy, that it's more still Blaine's point of view. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I need to choose. Yeah. But I do like that as the, as the song progresses, you see Kurt's defensiveness go away. They get to that line at the end where Blaine sings, I'd rather be alone than unhappy. And Kurt looks like he's just about to cry. And Blaine is making the crazy singing faces. And then he storms out. So, like, the two of them have had this, like, emotional climax, you know. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, this is definitely Blaine putting on a front, like... He doesn't want to be alone. He would be miserable if he was by himself. We are going to find that out relatively soon. (laughs) But it's easier to sing these things and pretend to, you know, what does he say in Silly Love Songs? I know how to act them out in song, but I'm not really good at romance, you know? Well, he is, but he's also not. (laughs) But I do think he needs, he needs to say this for himself and for Kurt's sake, that he, he can't just go along with everything. There are rules. They have an agreement of what's okay. And when you get to a point where you're hurting the other person, it's not okay anymore. Yeah, so. I think kind of going back to what you were saying before, that the um, moment that kind of crosses the line for Kurt, it's when Blaine, he's, he's kind of breaking down through the song, but there's a moment in, towards the end where he legitimately is angry. And I'm guessing Kurt has never seen him legitimately angry on this level you know and not at Kurt not at him and that's when Kurt's just like this is way out of control like he just doesn't know what to do with this anymore yeah Blaine doesn't let himself get angry very often it's not until they have the conversation later when Blaine talks about not just being sad but being up being angry that he's going to be alone like he really is yeah angry then he storms out oh Blaine um, this is also just an interesting side note. I don't think that these two, even with their little tiffs, they don't usually bring it in the choir room. And the choir room, you're used no. to Finchel arguing and Quinn arguing with people and even Brittany and Santana maybe or whoever. But they never do that. They're usually quiet in the background. And I think that's one reason why everybody's so kind of shocked. Because this yeah. is usually not yeah. the couple that brings the drama. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, so kind of moving on, we have the one Santana Rachel scene, um, which is nice in the moment. I think, I don't know. 
I like that the two of them appreciate each other's ambition. I don't know how much I want Santana validating some of the worst parts of Rachel. But I'm glad that they don't hate each other. Because she's going to be living on Rachel's couch in six months. (laughs) (laughs) That is a thought. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, so we get the Bert-Kurt scene. And when we open up, we have Kurt putting post-it notes on all of his things. Because he is very organized like that. And um, he is organizing what he's going to do. about what all the post-it notes mean? They uh, pink is for stay. I did. Oh, okay. You didn't. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say pink is for stay. <laughs> I have comments. Blue is for go. Red is for trash. And green is for humidity controlled storage to keep in in case in what's first thing mint condition to sell as memorabilia after I get famous. And Bert doesn't even bat an eye at that. <laughs> that kind of makes sense. <laughs> um, so did you see what he's saving and what he's not? Um, shoot. What is that list again? Okay, so I made a note. <laughs> I paused it so I could so I could watch it. Okay, so obviously they talk about the prom photo, which he's leaving. He's not getting rid of him, but he's leaving that, you know, because um, he says that Blaine and I are on the rocks. I don't know what's up with him. I reserve the right to repost it. Um, and then the yep. stuff he's taking with him is just all the practical stuff. He's taking something that looks like a stereo and his fancy lamps. He's taking his headboard, which that's not practical. I take that back. But he's not taking anything sentimental. He's getting rid of a bunch of books, and it he is getting rid of the Blaine photo from his locker. It's on the <gasps> behind Bert while Bert is talking. No! And that photo is, has the, post, the post-it note on there. I know. I got mad. Wait, no, it's, <gasps> it's pink in mine. Books. It's the same color as I'm, my, I'm looking know. at it right now. Yeah, it's, and it looks pink. like it's possible. No, it's but that's pink. where the Blaine photo goes. That's where the, the locker photo goes. It goes in his room. And then he's storing this like giant mirror and a photo album, his, great, his greatest star performance photo, something that's whatever's in that box under the skull. So those are all like things for when he's famous. Um, but yeah, Bert moves out of the way and I saw Blaine's photo with the red sticker on there and I got very upset. Pink. Well, my, my I hope so. Thing says that I it's pink. So. It looks pink to me because he's leaving Blaine behind. Not to mention, I thought the background of Blaine's picture was blue, not red. Well, it's a school photo of Blaine in a blazer. Okay, now I'm gonna like want to watch this like ten times. But anyway, we have to move on <laughs> at some point. How and here's me just going Google, Google. Google. <laughs> yeah. um, um, it is a pink post-it note opposed to a red one, though. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the the prom photo. Yeah, right. He's still leaving Blaine behind. I know. He's still okay. no matter what, he's leaving Blaine behind. Yeah. He's not taking anything sentimental. He's not taking anything sentimental. Um, he's I think in his mind he's trying to be practical. Like I can take this all later when I you know have a, a place and I can you know organize yeah. it the way I want to. But when you look at the loft, when you look at his room, I've, I've looked at it a little bit. There's no real sentimentality no in there. Well, those lamps are there. Oh, that's true. The lamps make it. But he does say to his dad, um, we have to be heartless about this stuff. You've seen Hoarders. This is how it starts. Because <laughs> Bert wants to keep his participation award. But I also think Kurt is one of those oh, people. Oh, sorry. I just say he wants to keep his participation award for regionals, the one they lost. Yeah, Bert wants to keep it because he wants to. He, he, like Kurt's saying we can't be sentimental. And Bert's whole point is we got to get more sentimental. 
Well, and I think Kurt is the type of person who seems like, you know, anything that matters to him, he keeps really, really buried down deep, and he, he doesn't, he's not going to, he's going to display it in his own way, but I think that, like, it seems to me, like, if I can just shut these emotions off and just be really calculated and logical about all of it, then maybe it'll hurt less to leave it all behind. Yeah, I mean, here he is. He's doing the OCD thing. He's trying to, he's going through a hard point and he's trying to organize, 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 organize. Mm-hmm. And when he says, Blaine and I are on the rocks, there's a moment that he hesitates and he thinks about it for like a split second. And he's like, do I really want to talk to my dad about all of this? No, I really don't. I don't want to think about it because I don't want to think about bad things. And he says he doesn't know what's going on with him, but he reserves the right to repost it. But I do better repost it. Bert's lip. face... When he says Blaine are on the rocks, Bert looks shook. <laughs> Bert is unhappy. Well, I bet also he knows what's going on more than Kurt does in some ways. I yeah. mean, he, he's been skipping, you know, their Friday night dinners and and doing kind of what Blaine's been doing by, you know, trying to avoid the problem. But yeah, I really enjoy the parallel between Bert and Blaine here and how Bert is able to shed light on something else that's going on. You know, Bert has the emotional intelligence and the wisdom of years to be able to express what he's doing. Um, And he he makes it really clear that, you know, it's not just that you're going. I knew you were going to go. But once you go, there's going to be a significant transition to how things are now. And they're not going to go back. You know, and, and Bert is feeling sentimental about, you know, this decade that they've had just the two of them. I like the little um, anecdotes that he talks about, about Kurt playing kitchen and or wrecking everything. And Kurt, what was he making? Paella. Paella. Who knew paella would be so hard? It's super hard. And he calls him Starsky and Gay Hutch. <laughs> yes. Yes. For 10 years. We've been doing our Starsky and Gay Hutch yeah. thing for 10 years. Yeah. There's a little bit of that, like, we made each other men barf but yeah um, but it's so it's so it's it's not as but this is how Bert does it he says like oh wait, I wrote it down um I'm so happy for you and I'm so proud you and me we made each other men but sometimes I want my sweet little boy back oh I'm crying <laughs> as a parent no. I'm crying <laughs> as a parent of a child who's gonna be 17 in less than a month and is gonna be moving out in a year and a bit and I'm just Intense crying. Intense yeah. crying. Seriously. Seriously. I have tears in my eyes right now, you guys. This is ridiculous. Oh. Oh, sorry. Yeah. But Kurt makes a point to say that he's confused. Why would Bert skip dinners? Because if he's sad that there won't be more dinners, like, that doesn't make any sense to him. And it really elucidates what's going on with Blaine. Why are you pulling away? If you want me, why are you pulling away? Yeah. Exactly. I don't know if I fully understand it because I'm like, why, why would you do that? I'm the type of person that would go the opposite way. I would cling on to like the point where you'd be like, go away. But, um, but yeah, you can see it. Um, and Kurt starts to like, go ahead. I understand it though, too, from a parent's perspective. It's, I, I, I am trying in so many ways to, prepare my son he's you know he's learned how to do his own laundry he's learned how to cook his own meals he's learned how to do a lot of things 
I have to be willing to let him go little by little because he's not going to be ready if I just say, okay, here you go and throw it all at him as he leaves. Mm-hmm. And so there, you know, I, I don't cook dinners that include him in the dinner anymore because half the time he's working and, you know, there are all these things in my head that are just like, okay, I really want to hang on tight, but yet I'm forcibly not hanging on tight because he's not my little boy. So I guess I do see, I I understand why Kurt's confused because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to a teenager. But to me as a parent, I think, yeah, I have to be able to be willing to let him go more. And I I don't want to, but I have to. Well, that makes sense. I I do understand it from that perspective. So awesome. We go into I Have Nothing. And this is one of my personal favorite solos that Kurt ever did. And I think that when it came out, I know a lot of people criticized it because it was Kurt singing a high, a really, really high, maybe possibly too high song for him. But the more I listen to it, the more I just love it. I think he crushes this song. People just aren't yet used to guys singing that high. He does really well with this song. This is a hard song. And it's amazing. And he puts his own personal stamp on it. And Chris wanted to sing it in that key. Yeah. I that was, that was a huge debate when it came out. Was And, and it, I, I, it was, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Uh, the blonde guy who the with the glasses who did all the... Yes, yes. Anders something Anders. Oh, Alex Anders? Alex I think so. Yeah, he... he somebody at... He, at one point, he actually had a tumbler for like a week. <laughs> And one of the yeah, things that's that not lasting very long. <laughs> it's like Ryan Murphy having it for a month. Yeah. <laughs> and he's one of the things that, that, that they asked him was, um, why did you make Chris Colfer sing that song in that key? And his response was something along the lines of, make him? No, that was Chris's choice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and I the thing is that he's he's in the key like he he does really well with that song. It's just outside the norm of what people are used to hearing, so they think like, oh, this doesn't sound right, but it sounds right. Yeah, and honestly, if it was a man singing it when you first heard it, you probably wouldn't be thinking, oh gosh, this gross a man singing that. You would just be thinking, oh, what a beautiful rendition of this song. But I really like the way they stage it. Um, I like that, you know, Kurt Kurt is clearly sorry and Blaine is defensive. And I totally enjoyed the look that Mike gives Blaine really early on. Oh, yeah. Like, dude, he's singing to you. And he's like, shut up, I know. <laughs> yeah. As if no one, as, as if someone could not notice what that was about. Oh, Amber, what did you say? Oh, I was just saying that Mike is my favorite background character this whole episode. Yeah. His face is always on point in every scene that he is in. Yeah. He's highly concerned. These two need to get this sorted out. <laughs> um, I'm going to gush for a second. Um, Are we going to talk about the lyrics? Yeah. Well, and before we talk about the lyrics, though, um, I want to say one thing that I really, really love about this particular performance is that before, Blaine, when he's saying his solo, he kind of is like, okay, guys, I'm marrying my dirty laundry with you, you know, in front of you take my side, not really, but like, take my side, we're going to just be angry, or I just need to be angry, you know, whatever. 
And this is, this is kind of the opposite. This is, I don't really care who else is in this room. I'm talking to you, Blaine. That is it. He never breaks contact, eye contact with Blaine. And it's like, listen to me. There isn't anyone else in the room that exists. And he's pointing, yeah. so you know he's serious. He is pointing, <laughs> and you do know he's serious. I'm pretty sure you said that last time, Teach. I'm so glad that you said that again. <laughs> 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 he learned something from Cooper's master class. <laughs> he, he took notes, remember? He did. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing he wrote that down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, and, okay, so the lyrics a little bit, um, uh, share my life, take me for what I am, cause I'll never change my colors for you. And I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people criticized Kurt for that line, and I guess I just don't see it that way. I kind of see that, like, this is me, and, um, I'm not going to change, but, let's see, take my love, I'll never ask for too much, just all that you are and everything that you do. I don't know. Yeah, that seems like asking for kind of having everybody with having everything about him with him. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's a song, you know, it comes from an individual place saying I'm an individual, but you are the person I want along with me. Because later on, he says, I don't want to have to go where you don't follow. Exactly. Like, I, I want to go to New York. I'm going to. But, you know, I don't want to have to go where you don't follow. That just it makes a lot of sense. And he says. I won't hold it back again, this passion inside, which means he's going to be more emotionally open to Blaine. I can't run from myself. There's nowhere to hide. I guess we didn't really talk about this in the other one, but it, Kurt says, don't make me close one more door. And in the other song, what is the line? He says, um, he basically insinuates I'm closing the door on this. Yeah, something about shut the door. Yeah. I don't know. So it was interesting. There's doors. There's no birds, but there's doors. And don't walk away from me. And that's another, like, the other one. Is- that's when he's pointing. <laughs> it's, it's, the line in It's Not Right, But It's Okay is close the door behind you, leave your key. Okay. So then don't make me close the door is a direct answer to that one. That's cool. Yeah. And then um, the second stanza, which is not in, it's not in the actual performance in the show, but I really still really love it. It's you see through right to the heart of me. You break down my walls with the strength of your love. I never knew love like this. Like, I've never known like, God, I'm sorry. I never knew love like I've known it with you. How can you even sing that, right? Um, Will a memory survive when I can hold on to? And I love that because we always talk about Kurt with all of these walls and all these defenses. And Blaine has always been able to just get right past that. And And then, of course, the, the main you know, medium song, I have nothing if I don't have you. So, uh, I know that, uh, this is the only serenade that Kurt does for Blaine, but I, I think it's really special and I love it. It works. Well, it's the only public serenade that we've seen because clearly they talk about Kurt singing, like the two of them are singing together in their free time all the time. Kurt's clearly singing then. But I do like the, the point there's pointing and right after the pointing, cause you know, he's serious, uh, that's when Blaine starts to crumble and we get that like crying seal clap thing that he does where he's sad and he can't clap right. And it's very emotional. Aww, when he tears up at the very end. and Yeah. Okay. So um, the next scene is a scene that I actually really enjoy. I think it's really cute. Um, it is actually the guys in the locker room and Puck has presents for them. 
that he stole from the houses where he cleaned the pools. <laughs> and he, I love that he's like, tried to get your balls back, Finn, from Rachel, but yeah, couldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but my favorite, though, is is uh, Blaine's shot glass, which says, drink till she's cute. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and the way he asks that is that sad puppy face again. It's that why does Mike say drink till she's cute, and he just gets that look on his face again. I'm sorry, <laughs> and everyone yells at their screen. You know why? Rachel <laughs> <laughs> <Right to> Mary. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah, this is a. Uh, it's so funny. Puck's like, I'm sorry for sleeping with your woman, and like. Yeah, he apologized to all of them. He apologized to all of them for shooting all I love that Mike's like, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Anyway, it's a cute, it's not the most necessary scene, but it's really cute. It's one of the things that makes Puck's character really likable. As he moved through the series, he he was able to have a little bit of extra beyond this sort of dumb thing that he was initially. And it works really well. Yeah. All right, so we move into the Emma scene, um, which I am under the belief that Kurt sought Emma out and asked her to do this little counseling thing. And oh, she says that. Oh, yeah, that's right. She does say that. I need to go back and rewatch this. <laughs> that's why you believe it, because it was Kurt's idea. <laughs> and they make it really obvious in there, too, because... Um, Kurt was like, I am actively listening. And then he looks over and kind of winks at Emma like, did I do that right? <laughs> you can tell that Kurt did some like therapy jargon <laughs> beforehand. But I do like that. that Emma's like, yeah. And Blaine's like skeptical about Emma's qualifications. And she's like, well, I talked to Sam Sadie. And he's like, I'm pretty sure they broke up. So. <laughs> So, brutal honesty is the cornerstone of any relationship. Is she being brutally honest with her fiancé right now? I don't know, but whatever. Um, In the next scene with her, with him, she does, though. Oh, she that's finally good. gets to the mm-hmm. point. Good. So this is a safe She's space. She's on her um, I love that. Like, I, I, I love the fact, I mean, as much as it's funny, that they start with these little things, like... Well, um, let's talk about, well, first they talk about the Kurt texting the guy. And, you know, I think at this point, I'm going to guess this is when Kurt's already said, Chandler, you know, I need to work things out with my boyfriend. Leave me alone. Yeah, I have a feeling that Kurt did that right after he talked to his dad. But they don't just talk about Chandler. They also, Blaine brings up that he did something similar with Sebastian. So, you know, I hear it. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The line of, um, I sang you a song to express my regrets, and Emma slides a little pamphlet under her desk mat. Oh, the one about <laughs> saying sorry. And she had it prepared, yeah. Yeah, she had the whole thing prepared there. <laughs> and then, um, I love this next part. Um, so, first of all, so Kurt. I'm actively listening. Actively listening. Then, like, oh, I, okay, I hear you, and that's something I'm willing to work on. <laughs> <laughs> don't snap your don't you guys don't if you're listening out there as somebody who works in a customer service related field do not snap your fingers at the wait staff these people are paid you know under minimum wage 
and get crapped on all the time. Be nice to them, okay? <laughs> Just be nice. Hear that, Kurt? <laughs> so, the cheesecake is on its way, Kurt. You don't need to snap your fingers. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Kurt's like, okay, I'm willing to work on this. Your food, Kurt. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> Um, Snarky, do you want to talk about the next one? Uh, the you look good with a little color. <laughs> Stop putting bronzer <laughs> in my moisturizer. I love, it's such a great delivery. Stop putting bronzer in my moisturizer. You look good with a little color. And then it looks weird if somebody only has tanny hands. And then, Kurt, when should I play just as much when he didn't have tanny I, <laughs> I, I will find, and I, I will send to you all of the art that I can find because there's a lot of art with like like naked Kurt with like dark handprints on him <laughs> and I know that there's another one where it's like Blaine's junk is is tan you know? and there was a whole like there's so chapter much. or really funny. someone wrote all about grabbing the bronzer it- <laughs> Grabbing the bronzer, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Didn't have the right materials in the bathroom, so we went for the went for the uh, lotion and it was bronzer and yeah. There's a whole trick right about that. <laughs> oh, it's so they're such a joyful couple with their little quirks. It's really great. Yeah. And then they kind of, you know, they move through it and they get to the more emotional stuff. Well, I feel like that's Blaine t- feeling it out. Like, if I can complain about these superficial things, maybe it'll help me actually get to the thing that's really bothering me. Yeah, because Kurt's not defensive at all here. And, and then this is where Blaine admits that, you know, every conversation about Niata is really painful. And and I'm leaving. And at first, Kurt's defensive. Like, how dare you say New York is, like, an offensive thing? This is what I've wanted to do my entire life. And it's not until Blaine starts talking about being alone that Kurt really kind of deflates and he starts to really get it. Yeah, he looks confused and kind of surprised. And then it kind of dawns on him. Yeah, when he says, how is it supposed to make me feel? And then Kurt's like, oh. I never considered your feelings. <laughs> and Blaine's wearing the I love you sweater. He is. Yeah. It's a terrible outfit combination. He's got a gingham thing underneath. It's not his best look. But <laughs> I like. Because he looks like a flag. <laughs> he looks like he's going to some sort of 4th of July picnic. It does kind of look like that. It does, actually. Yes, you are correct. He's, but you know, he has color combinations and pattern combinations that no one else on the planet could wear. No, that's true. But you know what? The red looks kind of nice. The Kurt's gray. Even back then, they were matching them. Um, so Blaine admits that he the has. Hug. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, and w- when they hug, the, the the colors go really well together for the hug. Yeah, it's such a lovely looking hug. <laughs> it's very intense. There's fingers digging in. Yeah. There's like some sort of snorty smelling thing going on. Deep breathing. Still think that there should have been a kiss there, but that's just me. I wouldn't (sighs) kiss in front of Emma. Yeah, I don't think he would have in front of Emma. I think Kurt wouldn't in front of Emma. Kurt wouldn't. No, Blaine would do it just about anywhere. He doesn't really care. (laughs) I get that impression, but he made that promise. He made that promise anywhere and everywhere. True. But then, so Blaine says, you know, I'm trying to practice what my life is going to be 
like without you. And and then this is when Kurt's like, no, we're going to Skype and you're going to come every weekend. And that's, you know, I am not even thinking about us being apart. We're going to be totally together, which is naive of Kurt. But but he says, you know, we're going to see each other all the time as far as I'm concerned. Like he's just doubles down like. No. And he says, you are not going to be alone, which is what Blaine is worried about more than anything else. And, you know, I kind of, I feel like, how do I say this? I feel like a kiss or something like that may have been warranted in the episode itself. Maybe not here because it was Emma's. Um, I, I feel like the resolution of the hug is here, but I think just since we don't see them kiss since the first time and... It, there's obviously conversations about sex and lack of sex or physical intimacy. It does feel a little weird that they don't in this, in this episode, but yeah. I think the only place a kiss would have made sense in the episode is um, after they, at the, the very last scene, before they go to yeah. the Glee Club practice. And it could have just been a peck. I mean, I'm not saying they have to like go hot and heavy at the lockers. I'm just saying that would make sense for a place... Rather than just, like, hugging or walking arm in arm. You know, Kurt should have kissed Blaine on the cheek. They do say, they reiterate their love to, to each other at, at the end of this. And Kurt does look down at Blaine's lips for, like, a half second before they go in for the hug. Always, yeah. That always jumps out to me whenever I watch this. All right. So, yeah, then we get the wrap-up of the, this is when Emma does talks about serious stuff with Will. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in some ways, Blaine expressing his nervousness allows Emma to say to Will, they're going to come back and visit, you know, even if it's on the moon. Emma is super understanding about it. But I'm glad that she finally gets to a point where she's like, I have OCD and I don't want to do this. I mean, the first the first scene that they have together, he's like, let's move up the date of the super complicated wedding. The OCD person, that's not cool. And then, in or- and then she's trying to tell him it's not okay, and he kisses her to shut her up. Well, not to shut her up, but yeah. he kisses her and effectively shuts her up. And so then it just builds from this point on. And it's one of those things where it's like, oh, Emma, these are signs. Like, why? What do you <laughs> Don't see do in it. this guy? <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. Um, and we also get the wrap-up of the Joe Quinn stuff, which really ultimately doesn't go anywhere. They're like... Build up and no climax. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, they're saving it. For Jesus. <laughs> oh, well. Um, okay, so we get our our final clean scene, which was really nice because they could have ended the episode with that that uh, um, counseling scene, and they don't. I kind of like that we have this additional little moment at the lockers where... Blaine appreciates Kurt's jauntily placed cap. <laughs> like a Russian czar. Yeah. I appreciate it as well. It's adorable. And, uh, yeah, sexting. Here we go. I like that Kurt, does, he, he doesn't see Blaine walking up and texting him. Blaine, they're talking, and he says, as his phone goes off in his pocket, it's not Chandler. I told him not to text me anymore. And then he picks it up and reads it and totally does the smiley, blushy thing because who knows what that says. Uh, <laughs> but they it's probably not a comment about his boobs. <laughs> 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 but they go right back to their flirty chemistry of, oh, how unscheduled of you. <laughs> well, and the interesting thing about 
this is where I think the scene is a little bit awkwardly written because Blaine basically comes up, you know, I'm going to try, you know, in this presentation of I'm going to be, mm, try to not pull away from you as much and let's totally go, you know, fool around. And Kurt's like, no, I want to go to Glee Club. And <laughs> like, it seems yeah, but weird. Kurt's also saying, I want to cherish what's happening in the moment. You are part of that moment. The whole club is part of that moment. Like it's each of them coming to, to the other person's issue, you know? Exactly. And that's why, I mean, it, when you first, like, when I first watched this, I was like, wait, why is he not running off with Blaine? But, you know, when you when you said it in the context of the whole episode, it's about Kurt, who was, at, you know, up until this point was all about the future, 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 future. And now it's like, okay, well, let's enjoy what we have. Yeah. So. And it's not mandatory. And Blaine takes off all the other people who aren't going to be there, and they all show up anyway. Which, you know. I love that Puck's totally... going on a chlorine run. I don't know why that cracks me up when he says that. Yeah. And you know, I didn't hear that. Oh, sorry. Puck is going into another city for a sale on chlorine. (laughs) Yeah. But all those people show up in the answer. I mean, you know, there's all this speculation of like, you know, they come in from behind the curtain. That's a weird place to enter. What are they doing? They have, there's, they still have time to be together for this after the thing. I love that Kurt says, but it's glee. Like, that's an actual line. And he says, yeah. <laughs> it just was funny because I paused it on that and I was like, oh, but it's Glee. Um, <laughs> and you also get, you so you get the, in this scene, you get the wrap up of um, what's happening with Kurt and Blaine. And you get the wrap up of Will because all these people show up to the non-mandatory practice because they care. Now, mind you, Will is just creeping in the shadows as he likes to do. But for him, it's he a feel good creep. moment because the kids came back to this thing that they didn't have to do. And it makes him feel validated. And I love that they come in one by one. I mean, you get just Artie and, and Mercedes singing. And, you know, Kurt and Blaine come in looking all lovey-dovey. And then, you know, slowly one by one or couple by couple, they, they all come in. And it's really, I really like it. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of lines in um, not the performance version, but the studio version that stand out. And I, I wanted to... Um, I just think it's really cute that they gave him to Curtin Blaine because at this point we were so adamant about like, just give us something. And, and um, I think it was Alexander's. They said a lot of times they'll give Curtin Blaine things in music when they can't necessarily do it on screen. Yep. That was the same kind of, that was the same conversation where he was talking about the other, why did you have Kurt? Why did Chris sing that high? It was in that same set of answers. Oh, I'm glad I'm not misremembering. Thank you. Um, Blaine says, if I wake up in World War III, I, I see destruction, poverty, Kurt answers with, and I feel like I want to go home. It's okay. You're coming with me. Um, and then later on, Kurt says, as the years pass us by, Blaine says, we stay young through each other's eyes. And, um, my final thought was on the song was, um, I love the, that the episode brings it from how will I know that he really loves me to my love is your love. So it connects and it, it comes full circle. Oh, tie it in a bow. Yeah. Again, it's Lee, so probably not on purpose. <laughs> exactly. And I was the one that brought that up before, but still, I'm, I get all emotional. I get so emotional, baby. Sorry. <laughs> and of course, the very end is, is Kurt taking down the Whitney tribute and putting up all of the pictures of uh, old pictures of the glee club and 
from 2009, and he, he's being sentimental in the way that he wasn't earlier with his dad. Awesome. All right, so did you guys have anything else you wanted to add? To Did anything we missed? Anything? Oh, one thing is during the How Will I Know, suits, or Kurt's suit, is the most beautiful thing I think I've ever seen him in, and I feel like it's extremely underrated. When we talk about Kurt outfits, I very rarely see that suit come up, and it is gorgeous. You're absolutely correct. And I agree with you 100%. And why did I not think of it? <laughs> it is resplendent. Wait, the costume in this episode, actually, other than, Gla- the, than Blaine's picnic outfit, but the costuming in this episode was actually really, really good. Even well, um, Brittany and Santana, when they did their... Yeah, when, when, but when, um, when um, Brittany and Santana did their duet, they were actually wearing a costume from the How Will I Know video. Yeah. Even though they weren't singing How Will I Know. <laughs> but it was that, it was like, it was Whitney's, it was like Whitney's signature 80s, you know, when, it, when you thought of Whitney Houston, you thought of that outfit. And interestingly enough, Kurt's suit that you were referring to is made of almost that same fabric. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's yeah, that it's shiny cool. gray. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, it, it was a very Whitney suit. Isn't Blaine in his solo kind of mimicking, um, I mean, didn't Whitney wear all black in that, in her video? Yeah, it's a yeah, video so recreation. The, the auditorium scenes. The auditorium scenes were a video recreation, yes, of Whitney's video. But Brittany and Santana, they did not recreate the um, Dance with Somebody video. They recreated How Will I Know video because they couldn't have done the How Will I Know video with the way they did How Will I Know in the episode because it was such a different feel for the song. But there was still a nod to it with with Kurt's beautiful suit and then, like I said, with the uh, the costumes later on in the show. Kurt always looks so good in vests. I love that there, a lot of season yeah. three stuff has vests. And I'm like, yes, it's mm-hmm. great. The auditorium scene in the first time. Kurt's outfits in this episode are gorgeous. My least yeah. favorite one is the jauntily paste, placed cap. But- <laughs> That thing that he has on in between the sheets is like one of my favorites. And it's kind of the same kind of thing. Like nobody could wear that but Kurt and look good in it. But Kurt looks amazing in it. And it's the hippo brooch. Love it. <laughs> I was very tempted so, was to he try still wearing the, the hippo brooch. Yeah, that's the one thing about Glee that I really, you know, I didn't really watch for it as much as I should have in seasons one and two. But um I'm so impressed by a show that sometimes can be really questionably written. Their production went out of the way with the costumes, with props, with background things. They, mm-hmm. the, the, the crew was very professional and, and really. The crew was amazing. Yeah. So I don't think they yeah. get enough credit, especially when the writing did get just crazy sometimes. Yeah. And I still think that the reason that the writing got so goofy and crazy was because they were going to go in one direction and then Corey died and they had to completely rethink it. And the story they meant to tell was already over then because there wasn't, they just, they just completely had nowhere to go. Yeah. I think also when they, they couldn't make a decision on what they wanted the show to be after season three. Um, so yeah, that kind of wraps it up. I think this is one of my favorite tribute episodes. I think that, the Whitney part of it isn't in your face the way a lot of other tribute episodes sometimes are. Um, it's not overly stuffed with music in the same way or some tributes are. 
And I, I think it's possibly my favorite one, but um, yeah, so many really good, so many good things. It's a really good, strong episode. One of the things I like the most about this as a tribute episode is that the songs actually help tell the story. They're not just added in as filler. Whereas in a lot yes. of the tribute episodes, they were just, they were just, okay, well, we've got to fit this many songs in because this was our contract and we'll just sort of see if we can tell a story around them. This one, they actually incorporated the songs into the story. I mean, I Have Nothing is a direct response to, um, it's not right, but it's okay. I mean, they're just, they did a much better job of, of, in, of moving the story forward. And that's the only time that I really enjoyed watching the, the the tribute episodes or the competition episode was if there was something in the songs that was actually going to push the, the story forward. I'm much more mm-hmm. of a story person than I am a song person, which is weird because I'm a musician. But it makes it makes sense to me because you're not we're not sitting here watching perform. We're not like sitting here at a Darren Chris concert or whatever and talking about that. If we were we would be talking about the music, but we are sitting watching a visual medium. Um, that has music related to it, and that's a different set of rules. And it's a, and it's a story. You know, we're here looking at the story arc over the six seasons of a show, and obviously there was a lot of holes in there. But when they did it right, man, they just knocked it out of the park. Yeah, I think this is one of them. I mean, the C plot yeah. is a little boring for me. Joe and Quinn are kind of boring, but it's not bad. It's not offensive. So hey, that's good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but the all of the pieces of this episode are are strong. They did a good job with all the pieces. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think that kind of wraps everything up, and I, I want to thank you guys for joining me on what I think is one of the best episodes in season three. Um, and um, yeah, next week we are going to be back with Miata auditions and choke, literally and figuratively, unfortunately. So uh, join us next week, and I'll talk to you guys later. Coming, I don't know what it is, but it is gonna be great.